Hey everyone, this is Dr. Hurricane Howe, host of the GeoTrack podcast. The GeoTrack podcast explores the world to discover insights about the physical processes that cause extreme weather and natural disasters, their impacts on society, and what we can do to get out ahead of these disasters to minimize their impacts. We cover in-depth stories not covered by the mainstream media. By now, you all know I have this bad habit of disrupting professional meetings by walking around with my recorder and interviewing people. I love doing mini interviews because I come away with a bunch of new friends and a wide variety of perspectives from professionals working in different sectors. Well, I was at it again at the CNC Connect conference in Mobile, Alabama from January 8th to the 10th. This conference brought together hundreds of professionals working in fields related to insurance services and extreme weather response. The conference was hosted by CNC Catastrophe and National Claims, the parent company that powers the GeoTrek podcast. CNC is a family-owned business that has been working in the insurance services industry for more than four decades, helping people get their lives back together when disasters strike. I recorded interviews with seven guests at the conference, and we made them into a podcast episode. You'll enjoy this fast-paced episode if you have an interest to learn more about various occupations related to insurance services and extreme weather response. There are also two insights that became major themes at this conference, and they'll help you develop professionally no matter what your occupation is. You could be a professional dart thrower or historic wagon wheel preservationist, and yes, these insights will even help you out professionally. Joining us on this podcast is Dr. Phil Klotzbach, famous research scientist at Colorado State University, who leads a team engaged in seasonal hurricane forecasting. Phil shares with us some perspectives on the 2023 Atlantic hurricane season and gives us a sneak peek at the important factors that could influence 2024. This podcast also goes in depth with several professionals working in the field of insurance adjusting. This content relates closely with a podcast recorded 12 months earlier, GeoTrack Podcast number 61, Insurance Claims Adjusting with Murphy Bugs, Property Training Manager with CNC Catastrophe and National Claims. Well, hey, let's let's hop into it. Welcome to GeoTrack Podcast number 87, Perspectives from the CNC Connect Conference. Well, hey, let's kick off our podcast by chatting with Phil Klotzbach. Phil, great to see you again and reconnect. I wanted to talk to you about factors that influence hurricane activity in the Atlantic Ocean. The 2023 Atlantic hurricane season was the fourth most active season on record with 20 named storms. There seemed to be a wide range of spread in the models predicting last year's hurricane activity. Could you give us a brief recap on last year's activity and share why there was such a spread in the modeled forecasts? Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of different ways to kind of categorize hurricane season. So if you categorize it by just the number of storms that formed, those systems that are named by the National Hurricane Center, uh, it was the fourth most active on record. We had 20 named storms, and average season has about 14. Uh, some of the other numbers, say like the number of hurricanes, was actually we had seven hurricanes last year. The average season actually has seven. Um, but if you're interested, so our group at Colorado State University has been doing seasonal forecasts. This will be our 41st year, so we've done it currently for 40. This will be number 41 in 2024. Um, we actually have a website, seasonalhurricanepredictions.org, which displays the seasonal forecast from the different groups that you mentioned and a whole pile more. We have about 30 different groups submitting seasonal predictions. And so some years there is not much spread between the forecasts. Mm -hmm. There's generally pretty good agreement. In other years, there's a lot of spread. 
2023 is a great example of a year there was a lot of spread, which kind of highlights just the uncertainty that we did have with the seasonal forecast last year. There were kind of two big players, one being the strong El Nino that developed and intensified over the course of the season. El Nino is warmer than normal water in the eastern and central tropical Pacific. Normally when that occurs, you get stronger winds at, at uh, say, 20 to 30,000 feet blowing out of the west in the Atlantic, and that tends to tear apart hurricanes. So normally El Nino knocks down your storms. But at the same time, the Atlantic always warms up from spring to summer, but it warmed up way, way faster than normal and much faster than most groups anticipated, which is why our group at Colorado State, NOAA, a lot of the other groups, from their initial predictions, say April and May and June, increased their forecast to August because the Atlantic got really, really hot and stayed that way. And normally a warm Atlantic favors an above normal season um, due to the fact that that means you basically have more fuel for your storms. Thanks, Phil. It's fascinating to learn about the science behind the seasonal hurricane forecasting and to better understand the factors that influenced last year's active Atlantic Basin. So I know it's really early, but could you give us at least a little bit of a sneak peek at 2024 when we look at the Atlantic Basin? Any insights on what we can expect? It's still really, really early. Um, and so the hurricane season officially starts June 1st, but doesn't really ramp up until August. Uh, we saw that a great example of that in 2023. The season was kind of dinking along through about August 20th. And then the season just ex- ramped up super fast. And we had a ton of storms from basically August 20th to the end of September. Um, and so in 2024, you know, that El Nino that we talked about earlier uh, is extremely, is, is very likely to be gone. Um, and so that, again, normally knocks down your storm. So when that, with that not being there, that's not great uh, for the upcoming season. But we also don't know right now the Atlantic, which was record warm last year, is still extremely warm. Um, but a lot can change during the winter months. The winds blowing across the tropical Atlantic tend to be pretty strong this time of year. So if the weather patterns are one way or the other, it can make either the water stay extremely warm. Obviously, if we take the El Nino out of the picture and we keep the Atlantic as warm as it was last year, this year coming up, that would be really bad. But there's a lot that can still change. So we'll put out our forecast first forecast on April 4th. And a lot of the other forecast groups that you mentioned also put out a forecast sometime between, you know, middle to later part of March through the middle of April. Uh, so there'll be a lot of different people looking at things and kind of coming up with numbers. Some of the early, early forecasts that have come out have been extremely aggressive, but there's not a lot of skill at this, at this lead time. So yeah. I wouldn't necessarily get too to worked up about anything at this point. We've got a long, long way to go, so we'll see what happens. For example, last February, if you look at the water temperatures end of February, you'd say, oh, the Atlantic's kind of near average. Nothing really to worry about. Yeah. And then by end of May, holy cow, it's record warm. So a lot can change just with atmospheric patterns in a couple of months. Thank you so much, Phil. Really great to chat with you here at the conference. As Phil said, CSU will issue their first seasonal hurricane forecast on April 4th, This forecast is released annually at the National Tropical Weather Conference in South Padre Island. I'll be at the conference again this year and uh, come join us. Learn more about hurricane science and what we can expect for the upcoming season. Our next guest is Brittany Harris from Louisville, Kentucky, who works with SketchMyRoof.com. What is your name and where are you from? Brittany Harris from Louisville, Kentucky. Brittany, great to meet you. Welcome to the conference. Uh, I hope you're having a good conference so far having an amazing time. CNC has been a wonderful uh, hosting us and we're looking forward to coming back next year. Brittany, you're here at the Sketch My Roof booth. Could you tell us a little bit about Sketch My Roof and what y'all do? 
Yes, so we are SketchMyRoof.com. We specialize in sketching roofs as well as exterior walls. And our main thing is having a same-day turnaround. So you can count on us to be able to turn your claims in timely. We're going to get you that sketch file. So how do different professionals use your product? Um, so typically, if they're an adjuster or an inspector, if they're going out to look at a home and they don't want to measure it themselves, but they need to estimate it in something like Xactimate or Simbility, they go to our website, put in the address, they're able to order the roof sketch or the roof and the walls, and then we get that back to them lightning fast so that they can write their estimate. So the sketch is provided from y'all to them so that they can move ahead with their estimate. Exactly. So we're a beginning part of the claims process for most people. That's fantastic. So how can people find you if they want to learn more about you or reach out to you? So definitely visit our website, which is sketchmyroof.com. And then on all social media, we are backslash sketchmyroof. Everything is spelled conventionally. That's fantastic. And the last question, what's your favorite thing about the conference so far? Uh, My favorite thing about the conference is meeting this celebrity named Hurricane Hal Needham. That totally made my day. I had to put it on social media. And other than that, meeting all the great adjusters at CNC, uh, touring their uh, facility. They have a state-of-the-art facility. They can handle um, any claim that you're looking for. They've got capable adjusters, and it's just been a blast. Thanks so much, Brittany. I hope you have a great conference. Thank you. You as well. Thank you, Brittany. We will definitely check out sketchmyroof.com. It seems like a great product that's helping a lot of people in the industry. The next guest is Ricky Ortiz from the Woodlands, Texas, just north of Houston. We're here at the CNC Connect Conference. Uh, So great to meet you. What is your name and where are you from? Uh, My name is Ricky Ortiz. I'm from the Woodlands, Texas, on the uh, north side of Houston. Ricky, how long have you been adjusting? Uh, I've been licensed for almost five years. I got my first deployment about three and a half years ago. From chatting with you, I know you love this as a job. What do you love about it so much? Um, freedom, honestly, uh, I get to go out and do something that, I, that I'm, I'm comfortable with. I can easily go on to, to job sites and talk to customers, kind of, you know, feel confident in what I'm looking at, finding damage, deal with contractors, write up estimates and, and feel like I can actually put them on a path to getting their house put back together and getting their life hopefully restored as quickly as possible. You were explaining to me the wide variety of claims you get. I mean, it's not just, I guess, natural hazards. It's all kinds of stuff. What are some of the, the types of claims that you work? Um, everything. So I get, um, I, I'm in Texas. I've got all licensed, a licensed all line adjuster, but I work wind and hail, water, freeze claims, um, theft claims, vandalism claims. I've had cars racing that have crashed into houses. I've had um, deceased bodies in houses. I do commercial claims where I've had, um, I had one recently where they had a 68,000 pound excavator stolen out of a parking lot. They drove it around and ripped an ATM out of the side of a bank. Um, so it's, there's just really a variety. There's, you know, there's always something new. There's no way you could get bored on a job like that. It seems like there's always something new. Exactly. And there's always a story to tell. There's always new stories to add to the, uh, to the arsenal. Yeah. Ricky, you mentioned how busy you stay. I mean, I know you're north of the Houston metro area there and and kind of accessible to that whole market. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of work coming your way. There is. Houston is so large, you can actually get on I-10, and once you hit kind of Houston city limits around Katy area, you can drive 70 miles an hour, and an hour later still be inside of Houston. Um, So the the area is so large, um, and it's constantly expanding that there's just constant work. I don't really have to leave southeast Texas to, to be constantly busy with work. Ricky, we're here at the CNC Connect Conference. What's your favorite thing about this conference? Honestly, I, I have worked for CNC for uh, almost three years now. They are a fantastic company. Um, I cannot say enough good things about them. And, and my, you know, the, the thing I, I enjoy the most here is actually just being able to come here and meet the people that I talk to every day. Um, I talk to these people, some of them multiple times a day for you know, every week. Um, I've only met a few of them in the past, but just getting here and being able to put faces with names and then be able to uh, 
go through some of the uh, continuing education classes and, and learn some additional stuff. It's, it's been a great experience. Ricky, what advice would you give for someone thinking about maybe getting into the field of insurance adjusting? Um, don't believe everything you read online. You're not going to go uh, immediately get a job where you're making $100,000 a year next month. But get a good mentor, somebody that, um, that actually enjoys what they do and doesn't mind helping you out. And you can go far if it's, if it's, if it's a job that you're meant to do. Thanks, Ricky. I hope you have a great conference. Thank you very much. Good to meet you. Thanks, Ricky. It sounds like you've been staying super busy working claims in Southeast Texas. After I talked with Ricky, I had an interesting conversation with James Thompson from Kentucky. James shared about the work Knight Solutions does to provide professional ladder assist services for insurance adjusters. Um, So what is your name and where are you from? James Thompson. I'm the director of sales and marketing for Knight Solutions, professional ladder assist company. James, tell us about Knights. I mean, what do you do and how does this tie into our conference here? Yeah, absolutely. Knight Solutions, so professional ladder assist company. We handle the inspection side of property claims for adjusters, right? When it comes to roofing systems that are dangerous to, to access, right? Too steep, too tall. We're, we're a service provider that has the proper training skills and equipment to access these types of roofs on behalf of adjusters, right? They want to remove the liability. They don't want the danger of climbing on the roof. That's where we can come into play to help them out, gather the documentation that they need to settle the claim accurately and confidently. So, James, how does your partnership look with, say, adjusters after a storm situation, for example? Well, I mean, we're a resource for adjusters, okay? So it's important to understand our our company, our ladder assist technicians. We're HAG certified inspectors, but we're not licensed adjusters. I'm not trying to do the job of adjusters, right? I simply want to be a resource for them. So really, like, you're maybe getting up to these hard-to-reach roofs or steep roofs, high roofs, things like that, and you can basically document what's happened up there and and work with the adjusters to, to do this documentation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Everything is all about the documentation. So whether it is identifying the material uh, makeup of the roofing system so that they can write their estimates as accurate as possible or quantifying the damage that we observe on a roofing system during an inspection, performing test areas, um, identifying other anomalies that we see or non-peril related types of damage to main roofing materials. This is all very pertinent information for an adjuster to settle their claim accurately. James, you mentioned a lot about roofs. I've been in hurricane zones where I see damage to an apartment building or something like that, you know, on the side of the building. What about that? I mean, maybe maybe up on the fourth floor or something like that. Could, could you all service something like that where it's not a roof, but it's maybe up higher than normal? I mean, that's something we could handle. Um, most of our business is on the residential side. We do handle some commercial stuff as well. Um, you know, you're talking about like uh, high-rise condos or apartment buildings. I mean, typically ladders are maybe not going to suffice in a situation like that. We have some some technicians on our roster that are, you know, heavy equipment certified, right? If we needed to bring in a boom lift or something like that, that's something we could uh, we could accommodate. What are the different kinds of catastrophe events that you respond to? Uh, most of what we respond to are wind and hail events, but we have worked some uh, some catastrophe response for hurricanes before. In particular, I believe it was late 2022, Hurricane Ian. Uh, I was in uh, I was in Florida uh, for about four weeks solid. I had a team of a dozen to 15 of my technicians down there. We were we were there for an emergency deployment, emergency tarping situation is what we were doing. So in that instance, not so much of, of an inspection side of things. We were strictly trying to mitigate further damage to properties for a specific carrier with that instance. 
James, previously I was asking you about drones and you were mentioning, you know, drones generally are only getting within maybe five to seven feet of the roof. But a lot of times you're right there at the roof level, maybe just inches away from the damage. How does that close proximity of you on the roof really help you do an evaluation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we definitely prefer to be boots on the ground, so to speak, even though we're talking about being on a roof. Um, drones definitely have a place in this industry, and they, they're, they're going to have their, their day in the light, so to speak, right? They are useful, I think more useful in, in wind damage scenarios where, where damage is pretty obvious. Now, when we're talking about hail damage claims, sometimes really got to get up close and personal with that damage in order to get enough justification for the adjuster to go ahead and say, I agree, this is hail damage, I'll pay for it write the estimate so you know when I'm taking damage of a, of a hail damage uh, scenario I want to be you know at a range of four to six inches I want my, my photos to be crystal clear have enough detail that when I send my report to an adjuster they don't have unanswered questions they don't have to come back to me and say hey I'm not sure this is gray blah 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 no I want my documentation to be so good I want to paint the picture so well that they can read my report in a matter of minutes write the estimate and move forward well you're really documenting like the physical nature of the damage and even uh, sometimes touching it or just photographing it from inches away, right? Oh, yes. Uh, you know, photographs obviously is the, is the documentation we're after most of the time. But yes, being boots on the ground, being right there, touching, feeling the damage to, to see if it actually is damage. You know, if we're talking about engineering standards, it's not hail damage until it actually fractures the base mat of the shingle. You know, my, uh, where I'm from, I'm from Kentucky, so my part of the country, we don't typically see hail of the caliber that's, that's going to really produce that kind of damage. You know, insurances, you know, it can be grayscale. There's some carriers, some adjusters. It just depends on sentiment a lot sometimes, right? Sometimes they'll be a little lenient, and maybe even if it's not fractured they'll still pay for it and then you know sometimes it goes the other way it just depends on the narrative how much evidence there is to support it how much collateral damage you can correlate weather reports a whole lot of things come into play here james y'all are offering a really valuable uh, product and and solution for uh, folks in the insurance adjusting industry how can people find you online uh, check us out on the web, uh, www.nightsolutions.com. A lot of good information on there, our coverage map, what we do, what we stand for, company vision. You can schedule an inspection, or excuse me, not from the website, but schedule an inspection. We'll take you to the sign-up area for our online scheduling portal. Super simple to sign up for once you're into the portal. It takes only about 60 seconds to request an inspection, and, and that's how we want to get our business there. So check us out on, on nightsolutions.com. James, last question. What's your favorite thing about the CNC Connect conference here? Oh, man, so many so many great things have been going on down here. CNC has put on such a great show. Uh, very blessed and, and grateful for the opportunity to be here. Um, for me, this is the this is the personal connections that we make, man. This this industry is is uh, it's not just about the money. It's not just about the bottom dollar. This is about the relationships we build along the way. And uh, Unite Solutions, we really try to embody that. Uh, I'm trying to be very customer service focused with, with who I work with. And we want to be very personal with them on a one-on-one on -one -on -one level. James, I appreciate you taking time. I hope you have a great conference. Hey, thanks so much, Hal. It's great to meet you. Thanks, James. What a great service Night Solutions is providing to the insurance adjusting community. Really check them out there. It seems like they're doing a lot of great work that's helping people move their claims along a lot safer and a lot quicker. Our next guest is Ramiro Ramirez from Jacksonville, Florida, who shares valuable perspectives on insurance adjusting. Can you please share your name and where you're from? Yeah, my name is Ramiro Ramirez, and I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. And Ramiro, great to meet you at the conference here. What's your favorite thing about the conference so far? 
Really the best part for me is the networking and just getting to kind of pick everyone's brain and figure out who knows what. That really just helps uh, you as a better adjuster just uh, get a more of a better idea of what's going on. Ramiro, how long have you been adjusting and, and what's your favorite thing about working in that field? I've been adjusting for four years now. Uh, the favorite thing is the scene always seems to change. So I've worked in many different states and even Canada as well. And so I really enjoy that, just being able to go to different uh, areas, different parts of the U.S. and Canada. And uh, that's my that would be my favorite part. How did you get into international adjusting? A lot of folks, you know, stay stateside. How did you end up working in Canada? Well, I started talking to a couple people at um, whenever I was working with State Farm, a couple of other adjusters, and they had known about a company, um, an adjusting firm that goes to other countries. And that really interested me because I really would like to, I really love traveling to different countries. And so they explained to me, oh, this company goes to Canada a lot, works out of Canada. And so I found out who that was and I put in my, um, put in my, my resume and everything and just followed up with them, kept on following up with them. And then they uh, had a need for me. So I started to pursue it. We have a lot of love for our Canadian uh, friends and neighbors. You mentioned some really interesting things about the culture, like how honest the people are. Could you share an example that you had shared with us before? Yeah, so the funny situation I ran into was um, I was inspecting a home, and this was for Hurricane Fiona, and I went outside to do the inspection, and as I was doing it, I seen um, a big portion of the fence was on the ground, and I asked them, I said, oh, is this a part of Hurricane Fiona? And they were like, oh, no, no, that's from three years ago, so I just thought that was uh, very, very funny. (laughs) Right, they could have said uh, this fence was here a week ago and the hurricane knocked it down, but they were honest and said, no, it had already fallen, right? Exactly. Yeah, they were very truthful with me, so that was uh, that was very nice. You know, especially unfortunately in this um, job field, it, you know, sometimes people might say something is new and it might not be. <laughs> Ramiro, what kind of catastrophes have you worked before? Um, mostly hurricanes and hailstorms, um, and then I've also had a chance to work flood in Nova Scotia as well, and that was great as well. Um, so, what was like the training process for you? Like, was it was it easy to learn the field, or did, did it take some time? And what did that look like? Um, the training process, um, there's a lot of trial and error, you know, um, growing pains like with any job. Um, but again, if, as long as you have that desire to learn and really, um, you know, do different things, talk to a lot of people, go on YouTube, uh, utilize all your different resources to be able to become a better adjuster, that really helps. Do you typically do adjusting with like one firm or a range of firms? Like how does that work? Um, I typically work with a few different firms right now. Um, so yeah, I kind of go from firm to firm, but usually... Um, the better relationship you have with these firms, they'll keep you working for quite a while. So that helps as well. What advice would you give for people thinking of getting into insurance and insurance adjusting? I know you've worked in retail, you've worked in a lot of different sectors. Um, How did insurance adjusting feel like to you? And what advice would you give for new people in the field? Um, I definitely think with insurance adjusting, um, you have to stay open-minded and you got to be willing to kind of be very, you just got to be very flexible. Um, So usually they'll give you a day or two's notice saying, okay, we need you to be in this state or we need you to be here. Um, You have to have that flexibility and you kind of got to be one of those people that are, go with the flow. You know, they're going to ask you to do something and you kind of have to say, sure, I'll do it. Let's go. Let's do it. You end up traveling quite a bit as well, right? Yeah, traveled quite a bit, um, a lot through Canada, like we discussed earlier, and uh, just a lot throughout the different states because I've always been the type of person to try to, you know, go with it and, and do whatever is needed of me. And that really helps out. Ramiro, last question. What's your favorite thing so far about the conference and uh, what have you learned here? Um, the conference, I, I really love all the different uh, people that are here because there's a lot of people I don't know. So the networking part's really, really good to me. And um, just, I, I mean, really the networking for me because I get to talk to everybody and um, kind of they give different suggestions. And a lot of everybody has something that you don't know. Everybody knows something you don't know. So 
But I'm glad you mentioned that because I've picked up again and again the importance of relationships and networking that you, you, I mean, you can learn some of this stuff online, you can listen to podcasts, but at some point getting to a workshop, getting to a conference, it seems like that really sets people apart and is going to set them up a lot better professionally, right? Definitely. Networking is huge. Um, to me, that's one of the biggest parts of this business. That's what's going to help you grow and be successful in this business is knowing people. Because I've gotten a few um, jobs, a few deployments based off talking to my buddies that I would have never even known about that opportunity without having to talk to my buddies or talking to other people. I was just talking to some adjusters that said when a catastrophe hits, they're going to go down a list of people. And if you've been missing in action for a couple of years, if you haven't been at conferences, if no one's seen you, right, you're probably not going to be on the top of that list that they're calling down, you know? Yeah, that's 100% true. You definitely got to put yourself out there. Um, people need to know you exist. You know, you can't kind of hide in a hole and just stay gone. You got to keep on putting yourself out there. Keep on calling these firms. Um, make sure they know you're there and you're hungry. You want to work. It sounds like you really have to be assertive and, and on top of this and not just be reactive and waiting for a phone call, right? Exactly. And, and if you have that personality, you could be very successful in this business. You could do really well. Um, but you have to have that go get it kind of personality. Ramiro, could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the industry? Like, how did you hear about it? Um, funny enough, I heard about it from my uncle. His daughter um, had been an adjuster for a long time. And me and my cousin, we just, you know, she's kind of out there living her life. I'm living mine. We, we never really connected. And um, he told me and explained to me, he said, you should really be an adjuster. And I never thought about it before. And he just kept on pushing. He said, you know, you should really give adjuster a try. I know she does really well. You should definitely think about it. And um, I, I took the test, passed it, um, got hired pretty quickly after that and then I just kept on working deployment after deployment and it's, it seems like it's been non-stop. Did you have like a building contracting like a construction background or was a lot of because I know a lot of times you have to assess these things out there or was that kind of something that you picked up more like in in the training? It's um, I didn't have any construction background at all so it's really a lot of the on-the-job training and that um, goes in part with um, you know to have the desire to learn so you got to go online you know learn about the different parts of windows and doors um, the houses you know in general and that's what's going to help you along with you know your friends and, and your management team and everything like that so it sounds like even if you don't know a lot about that they'll train you if you're willing to learn Absolutely. They definitely, um, I think there's always a need for uh, quality adjusters. And so as long as you have the desire to learn, they want it, people want to teach. Thanks, Romero. Appreciate you taking time. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thank you for sharing such great advice with our listeners, Romero. Our next two guests, Rhonda and Lynette, are based in Mobile, Alabama, right down the road from where the CNC Connect Conference was held. We're at the CNC Connect Conference. Could you please share your name and where you're from? Hello, I'm Rhonda, and I'm from Mobile, Alabama. I'm Lynette, and I'm also from Mobile, Alabama. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming to the conference. What's your favorite thing about the conference so far? It's been very informative. We've met some great people and have gotten a lot of resources from a lot of people around, and just networking has been amazing. It's the networking for me. Awesome crowd. Everybody's very informative, don't mind sharing and helping. So we're just all networking together. Well, you're here at your booth. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and, and how you're networking and what you're sharing with people here? Okay, we actually license and train insurance adjusters. We do Mobile, Alabama now, and now we also have Texas mentorships and resume service. Oh, that's fantastic. Really useful stuff for everyone here. Yes, yes, and mostly everything we're doing is online. So we service now 20 states. So you're able to pull up our website, and there's a lot of self-study courses and different things, and we're accessible, you know, to help them through that process. So what organization are you with, and how can people find you, like, online? We are uh, Adjuster Ready. We are on Facebook, and we also have a website, so they can like and follow our page and get all that information to follow us. Oh, that's great. So people can reach out to you, and then you could just get back online with them. 
Oh, yes. Um, also, um, usually you, we have a very good response thing as far as inboxing. That's going to be on the Adjust Ready page. Our website is going to be adjustready at jacksonagencies.net. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I know a lot of the sourcing and uh, you know hiring and stuff is so needed. So I think uh, everyone really appreciates the work that you're doing here at the conference. We have been really enjoying ourselves and just glad that you guys have had us. It's been great. Thank you so much. And the last thing, what's your favorite thing about the conference so far? I think it was meeting Hal. <laughs> we've, we've been having a good time here. I'm a big fan. So yeah, I'm meeting everybody. I've been seeing a lot of faces, but to actually see it put a I've been meeting a lot of people. Just see the, the face with the names now. So, yeah. That's right. And our workforce is so spread out geographically. It's nice to a lot of times meet people in person that you've been seeing online or that you've been in touch with remotely, right? Yes. That's been wonderful. And it's also been amazing because I've seen uh, hundreds of students that we've actually licensed. So to see those people like working in the field where you've kind of helped educate them and nurture their, 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 their vision of what they're dealing with. So to be a part of that feels amazing. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for taking some time. I think a lot of people hopefully will um, find Adjuster Ready and, and see the services that you're doing and how val- valuable it is. And I hope you all have a great conference. Thank you so much for having us, and we are having an amazing time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rhonda and Lynette, for your perspectives. We'll definitely have to check out Adjuster Ready. It seems like you're doing a lot of work to set people up for success in the field of insurance adjusting. I had a longer conversation with our final guest, Bill Elsasser from Clearwater, Florida. Bill shared a lot of colorful stories with me about perspectives he has gained over several decades of working in construction, storm chasing, and insurance adjusting. What is your name and where are you from? My name is Bill Elsasser. I'm from Clearwater, Florida. Bill, it's great to meet you at the conference. I mean, what's the biggest thing you got from this conference here? Well, for me, uh, the, the number one thing is you get the chance to uh, face-to-face with the, with the company, the owners, the, the, the staff, the people that really make it happen for you as an adjuster. They're the ones that obviously give you the claims, and then they're the ones that help you get through the claims because in the flood world, it's not like being in the regular property and casualty world. So how long have you been in the profession, and how did you get into it? Well, it's kind of a long story, but... I got divorced in 2002, and I was working for my wife, and they had the second largest hailstorm in U.S. history, and I went to work for one of the, at the time, there were like six companies that specialized in storm chasing, right, and they were very professional, taught me everything I knew about it. Eventually, I went out on my own uh, a couple years later with a partner and uh, developed a pretty good-sized business over, you know, 10, 12 years, and somewhere around 2008. 7, 2008, I landed uh, in Minnesota where I was staying across the hall from a guy that had, uh, um, was he was an adjuster, and he taught me how to do Xactimate because he was lazy, and I did all his claims for him and showed me how to write a good estimate, and then eventually the next, actually the next year in 08, I got hired by that company to uh, be a, 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 an adjuster for Hurricane Ike in Houston. But let's back up a little bit. Tell us about that first time getting into professional storm chasing. I mean, what was that like and where did you go? Well, I was, uh, I was living in St. Louis and uh, just well, actually across the river. And I lived in St. Louis and I, was, I had been in the construction world for many, 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 many years um, and ended up uh, needing a job because I was divorced and I had big bills. And so, and I had two teenage kids. I had to get a job. And I just literally... Um, looked up online to see what was available and all of a sudden there were these jobs uh in st louis 
And so I interviewed in a couple of places and, and landed, I, I think, personally with, with the best company. So, like, on that first storm chase, where, where did you go? Well, I was, oh, as, as for myself, uh, uh, the guy that I teamed up with was, used to live in, um, um, in Alabama, and he would drive home from St. Louis. And on the way, he ran into a little town, Lewisburg, Tennessee, and they'd had a big hailstorm, and there was nobody working it. And he said, I think we should we can start here, which we did. So we opened up an office in Lewisburg, Tennessee, and and uh, put on a few roofs and put some siding on. And it, was, it started there, really. Well, over time, I've begun to see that hail is a lot bigger hazard than I ever realized. You know, a lot of times it doesn't hit the mainstream media like a hurricane would or a blizzard would. But the cumulative impa- impact is huge. What have you seen when you got out there working hail claims? I mean, what does the damage look like? And what are some perspectives you can give us on hail as far as a property hazard? Well, it, hail is kind of a unique thing because um, it's dimensional. You can see it, right? And so the average uh, uh, shingle, uh, you have to have golf ball size, inch and three-quarter hail to do damage to it, sufficient damage to get it paid for by the insurance company. Um, hail's also varied. I mean, I've had, I've had uh, 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 you know, six houses on one street, uh, four on one side, two on the other, and didn't get any of the other ones on the other side of the street depending on the carrier so it's it's real varied uh we did a a hailstorm in uh, wichita where the hail was grapefruit size and it was so bad that uh, you tried to walk through somebody's yard and you would trip and fall in the hailstone holes in the in the grass you couldn't see it it was leaving like craters or these big holes in their ground absolutely craters is a good description so what was it doing to the houses Sometimes they would it would punch right through the roof, right through the plywood into the into the ceiling. Sometimes, most of the time, because it was Kansas had a lot of insulation, so it would just land in the attic. But it was very sporadic. You might have five of those hail hits on a on an average, you know, fifteen hundred square foot home, you know, and then some smaller ones, and that's it. A lot of hail. You in, in a place like Wichita, where they're going to get a lot of hail. Those houses are going to have new shingles. They're going to, you know, um, so that you've got to have, have pretty good size hail to damage brand new shingles on a flat, flatter roof. You know. Could you walk us through the different kinds of catastrophe adjusting you've done? I mean, it sounds like you, you were doing some hail early on. Like, when did you get into flood? Like, how did this progress throughout your career? So I started with hail um, because that's, you know, the, the area that we're in. And then as a storm chaser, we chased basically all the hailstorms. That was kind of because it was convenient. Uh, we had pretty good reporting. You know, Internet was really rolling, uh, and, and people were tracking it. Um, and then um, as a contractor, um, I went to uh, Hurricane Katrina and uh, just to help a friend out. And I was not going to work. I was not going to work, Katrina. That was not my idea of a good time. But on my way down there, I called some of my crews and see if they wanted to come down. They said, yeah, you get enough business, we'll come. And, and I stayed nine months. But Katrina was really depressing in the end because the damages were so severe. And, you know, I would get, uh, I'd go to these, uh, uh, you know, parties or whatever with, with friends, you know, customers. And, you know, they'd invite me to these different things. And you were either the savior, oh, man, thank you for coming down here and help us clean up because there's no way that, you know, the damage is going to be covered by Louisiana contractors, especially even New Orleans contractor. And then you'd get the carpetbagger. Oh, you're just a carpetbagger coming in here to steal our money. So you get both of that. 
But the depressing thing was the speed, the lack of speed with which people were getting covered. Uh, you know, the FEMA trailers were a, a big nightmare. They were a, a big pain. Um, uh, the the roofing crews, for instance, they would have to they'd have to sleep in tents. They might have one cold water shower in the middle of a field. Um, you know, may, maybe a porta potty if they were lucky. Uh, I was very lucky. I rented a uh, rented office space, and it was about 1,100 square foot. And my crew lived there for seven months. That's a good point. I mean, people come down very primitive conditions. You're in a catastrophe zone. A lot of times there aren't any services. And a lot of these relief workers, uh, contractors, insurance folks are coming into these rough conditions, right? Well, they take up everything, which they have to. You know, you realize, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that Katrina, you know, a third of the population left. I mean, they, they had to move. They, and then the ones that got stuck there, they got moved out. So uh, I didn't come down until October 9th. And I stayed with some friends, and I thought, well, I'll go get a hotel room. So I go to the local hotel in, in Diamond Head, uh, Mississippi, and they said, oh, yeah, we'll put you on the list. I said, oh, well, how long is the list? He goes, she goes, you're number four on page nine. I'm like, what? She said, we have insurance adjusters here. We have contractors in here. We have residents from New Orleans in here. Um, it'll be probably four months before you get even a chance to stay here. Yeah, so many local residents displaced, and then like all these people coming in to work after the storm, right? Yeah, it's it, it's it, it's a perfect storm. You know, people are leaving and trying to get out, or they have to they have to live someplace. You know, the lower ninth ward was decimated, um, so they had to go someplace, right? So. You know, I, I don't know how FEMA did it, but they moved, you know, thousands of people around the country. Um, that'd be kind of an interesting story to write, really. But they moved thousands of people around the country, and everybody wanted to stay local. Everybody wanted to stay close to home, which makes sense. But then you have all these adjusters. I mean, I knew adjusters that were coming in from Hattiesburg to go to downtown, you know, downtown New Orleans. That's a, you know, three hour, almost a three hour drive one way, you know, before you see your first claim. So they might be driving in in the morning and driving back at night. They're spending maybe six hours in the car for to, to work that day, right? Happens all the time. Uh, that you see that all the time, especially in hurricane situations. So getting back to the flood. Uh, so uh, I worked a. Uh, I was working in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and uh, I had just got. We just got done with uh, Superstorm Sandy, and I was a wind guy. So I spent five months on Long Island. I had the best job in the world because I only had two water claims. It was great. And I meet this guy, and he worked for CNC, and he says, uh, we got to talk, and he says, well, how'd you do? And I said, oh, you know, I'm, you never tell what you make. I said, I said, I probably did sixty or 70000 in five months. And he said, well, I was there 13 months. He said, I made 350000 I said, I want to do what you do. And so he started telling me about the whole flood deal. And he said, and the best part is you don't have to climb a roof, Right. Well, I'm getting up in the years, you know, back then, and I'm like, well, that'd be a great idea. Well, lo and behold, four months later, I fell off a roof in Chicago, and so, you know, uh, nearly got killed. And uh, um, I was off work for two years, three years, uh, three months in a wheelchair. You know, I got metal shoulder, metal. It's, it was not good. But the bottom line was it really encouraged me to seek out uh, uh, the flood side of things. And uh, uh, the next february they had a they had a uh, claims conference here and i came and met everybody and you know got a few claims and then you know did some different things and so i'm back again Bill, what advice would you give for young professionals that maybe want to get into flood adjusting well, the, the number one thing is that you know finding 
finding a flood carrier, a flood company is is tough because they don't advertise like you know, like you know, maybe the hail and wind guys do. Um, so it's a little more of a niche uh, business. Getting flood contracts, uh, from my understanding, is immensely hard to get a deal with FEMA and the carriers. It's just it's such a struggle. It's so uh, paperwork intensive, time consuming. You know, you make good money. I mean, you make great money if if you really want to, you know, compare the two. But um, but find them. You know, CNC is a great place to start. Um, there's other companies out there. You'll just have to, you'd have to search them out. Internet's obviously nowadays is a great place to to, to search. Um, on the wind side of things, we did uh, catadjuster.org was a great place to go for getting on rosters. I talked to so many people at this conference who said one of the real reasons they wanted to come was just networking, building those relationships, just, you know, keeping those connections because, you know, when a flood comes, they're, they're going down the list and contacting people. And if, if you've been missing an action for years, you know, you're, you're not at the top of the list, right? Well, yeah. you got to be a little bit assertive, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's uh, um, uh, in my other world, um, you know, getting to meet the owners and, and getting, you know, getting FaceTime with them, understanding what they're looking for. Um, you got to be a good listener, but you got to be a good question asker, you know, um, and, you know, find out what they're after. What, what is it that they're really looking for? Um, and can you fit that bill? Um, uh, the other thing I would tell anybody is in whether you're wind or uh, flood, you got to be the guy that says, oh, yeah, I'll go there. Where's there? I don't care. Got to have flexibility, huh? No, you have to be willing. I mean, that's the deal. You have to be willing. Um, a quick story I, I've got. It was uh, the last of November, and I'm working south of uh, Nashville. I lived in west, just near Kansas City. I get a call from my company, and they said, how soon can you get to Southern California? I said, oh, a couple, three days. It's Thursday night at 830. He said, we have to be there by 2 o'clock on Saturday. I said, I'll be there. They want you there right away. Well, they have so they have rules in the wind. I don't know about the flood so much, but the wind has rules. If if they give you a catastrophe assignment, you have to promise them ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, whatever it is, the number of a adjusters, you know, the top shelf adjusters um, on site, and most of the time by a particular time. So, I had never flown to an assignment before. I f- flew in there, got there with about two minutes to spare, um, and and you know, as a wind adjuster. It's great getting to work in Southern California in December, you know. So it was yeah, getting some sunshine, warmer temps, and you know, it sounds like a, a productive trip. Well, yeah, it was. It was yeah, like I said, you you never were in the wind world. You never were. the best you're going to do in December. You're going to be doing a, a, a water dam, you know, ice dams on in uh, Minnesota or New York, you know, yeah. up, up on snowy and icy covered roofs, right? So this is a good deal if you get to go to Southern California. Absolutely. And it was my first trip down there and it was, yeah, it was a great trip. It was, I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't make a ton of money, but I made good money and it was a great trip because I got to see places I had never been. Bill, thanks so much for taking time to come on the podcast. Wishing you the best of luck on your conference and uh, the rest of this year. Well, Dr. Hal, it's a pleasure getting a chance to meet you. It's, uh, it was great being on your podcast. I look forward to following and working with you more. Thank you, Bill. And a big thank you to each of our guests who took the time to do interviews on this episode. I know a lot of our listeners like these conference and workshop episodes because we're really getting a buffet where we get to hear from so many different professionals with various perspectives. I came away with three action points from this podcast. 
The first action item is a major theme that frequently comes up on this podcast, the importance of getting out and going to professional meetings like conferences and workshops. So many of our guests on this episode talked about the importance of building professional relationships and networking. The people I interviewed got the importance of networking because they were at the conference and excited to engage with me on these interviews. I'm always saddened to hear stories about people, especially young professionals, who are struggling to find work or are not happy in their current job, but they are not making an effort to get out and network. I remember back when I was 24 years old, I got back to the States after one year overseas. I found the job search to be surprisingly difficult and nobody seemed to be hiring. As I look back at this, I see most of the fault was my own. I was just cold mailing and emailing my resume in response to dozens, if not hundreds, of internet job postings without building relationships in my field. So much of professional success comes down to your network and your relationships that you've built. And even if you're in a dead-end job with no travel budget, find something related in your field, close to where you live, and just get out there and at least make one connection. It could just be a luncheon, for example, in the city where you live. One more piece of advice with this, if you're not so extroverted and the thought of going to a professional meeting where you don't know many people is really intimidated, uh, try this exercise. Build up some courage, put on a smile, and go up to five new people. Say, hey, I don't think I've met you before, but my name is, and then just say your name. 99 out of 100 times, the other person will be happy to meet you. You can continue the conversation by asking an open-ended question that relates to everyone at the conference. The CNC Connect Conference was held in early January this year, so when I met new people, I often asked them how their holiday season was, and if they traveled or mostly stayed home. The holiday season of late December shakes things up a bit, and everyone has a story to tell. I asked that same question over and over again at the conference. It helped me get to know people, what they like to do when they're not working, where they live, what their family is like, and other important details about them. If this sounds really hard for you to learn such conversational skills, remember that the hardest part is starting out, and it definitely gets easier over time. The second action item I came away with on this podcast was the importance of showing your employer that you are willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Many of the insurance adjusters I interviewed on this podcast talked about the importance of being willing to drop everything and to travel and work catastrophe claims, even if it meant hopping on a plane in short notice. This is an application that relates to a wide range of professions, well beyond insurance adjusting. While education and ability are important, showing characteristics of a team player who is willing to make sacrifices and prioritize work deadlines will really get you ahead in the long run. Also, insurance adjusting is a great profession that compensates the best workers really well. Adjusters get to travel and see new places while developing new skills professionally. However, as several of our guests shared, the job is also difficult and very demanding at times. If you think you might be interested to learn more about this profession, reach out to CNC Catastrophe and National Claims online at adjustingexpectations.com. That's adjustingexpectations.com. They have a list of open uh, open positions and you can start interacting and engaging with them right away. The third major action item I got from this conference was a reminder to be especially prepared for this upcoming hurricane season. 
Phil Klotzbach took a lot of time to teach us the science behind seasonal hurricane forecasting, as well as a sneak peek at the 2024 season. While it's still early and the details may change, the combination of a very warm Atlantic Ocean, coupled with the increasing likeliness of a developing La Nina in the Pacific, should lead towards an active Atlantic hurricane season this upcoming year. Phil told us that CSU's first seasonal forecast will be released on April 4th. Well, that's a wrap from the CNC Connect Conference in Mobile, Alabama. Thanks for coming along on the ride, everybody. We keep on traveling on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast when we embark on a trip to the exotic country of Morocco in Northwest Africa to visit an area hit hard by a major earthquake last September. That podcast is part of a three-week trip I took in December to Morocco, Spain, and Portugal. I'm your host of the GeoTrek podcast, Dr. Hurricane Howe. I'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast.